0: This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, February 22nd. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter. And I'm Paul. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Paul, uh, it's episode 40. I feel like that's pretty monumental. Yeah, it's a, a landmark podcast, 40. Did you ever think we would get to episode 40? Uh, yeah. I guess 50 is the real kind of benchmark. Do uh, most other podcasts like say what episode number they are for each? I know like Effectively Wild yeah, Baseball Perspectives, they do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, it's been almost a month since I've been on the podcast, Paul. Uh, you interviewed Alan Nathan on the podcast two weeks ago, our last one. What'd you uh, think? That's a great question. Uh, I have some thoughts written down. I thought it was a great interview. I thought you did a really good job. Um, my favorite tidbits were the corked bat thoughts, uh, from him that it didn't really help with power too much. Um, uh, also the course field effect is real. Um, I thought even like the way you phrased the question, you weren't expecting it to be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, he was like, yep, no, that's uh breaking balls. Don't break as far and balls go further. Um, so that that was cool or interesting. And then, uh, his take on, um, the grip on the bat doesn't, in his research, how you grip the bat doesn't affect how far the ball goes or how hard it's hit. Um, My one question I was left with was uh, choking up on the bat. Is that uh, Mm -hmm. fall into that? And so, um, Doctor Nathan, if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to uh, tweet at me or email us or whatever. Um, But that was one question I had after listening to it. Yeah, man, what a what an awesome guy! Like I, as I said when I did the solo podcast, I didn't have any prior relationship with him. Had never met him before. Just um, uh, either tweeted at him or emailed him introduced myself and asked if he'd be interested and he got back to me with like within an hour. So I was blown away by just how great of a guy he was and also, um, how engaging he was. You know, you think like physicists, he, uh, you know, you have a certain stereotype of what he might, might be like and he kind of shattered that stereotype. So just a really fun engaging guy in general. Yeah. I thought it was cool just to hear, uh, like his perspective on baseball. Um, generally I think it's pretty cool to hear different people from different fields. Um, you know pretty diverse group of people that like baseball, uh, at least in terms of like where they're at in the country and stuff like that, maybe not racially diverse. Um, but it, it was cool to hear you know him from Boston, huge Red Sox fan. I don't run into Red Sox fans all the time growing up in Illinois, so it's just cool to hear his uh, history of, of the game. I was talking to him after the interview, and I thought this was fascinating. He said like all of this research probably wouldn't have happened unless there was like a, a local newspaper reporter at this like Saturday seminar he was giving to high school students, like a science seminar where he talked about baseball and they picked it up and they ran in on the front page of the paper on Sunday. And then the head coach of the U of I baseball team called them like the next day and hmm. it all just sort of blossomed from there. So I, it's just, it's, I not, thought, I thought it was started cause he read that book. He read the book for, to give this seminar. Oh, he and wouldn't, it, he wouldn't have continued with it. No. Okay. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Good uh, Good work. Uh, news from around baseball. Or I guess we should intro the podcast first. Uh, this week, still no games being played. Spring training has started uh, for all 30 teams, uh, but pretty hard to cover individual uh, practices from uh, Arizona and Florida with spring training going on. Um, so we're going to talk about some uh, non-game-related things. Uh, Pacota projections are out from Baseball Prospectus, and if you're not sure what Pacota projections are, we'll explain it to you later, but we'll talk about that for a while. Uh, we have a listener email to answer, um, and uh, we have a guest on to play a game, uh, Paul versus our older brother Kevin in a battle uh, that I'll explain uh, later. And also, we will end the podcast by reading some uh, iTunes reviews, uh, so look forward to that. Uh, but news from around baseball, uh, Paul, feel free to interject as well. But uh, a couple of things I had written down: um, Henry Mejia yep. uh, is banned from baseball. It's the first person uh, that's been banned from baseball since. Do you know? Since 1996. Hmm. No, I mean I was going to guess it's the only woman that's ever been banned from baseball. A woman. Was the Red zoner ever banned? Yep. Him? Wow. Yep, Marge shot. Uh, was banned in 1996 she was the reds owner she was racist right uh she was a lot of things i feel like they should do a 30 for 30 on her yeah we should do a podcast on her maybe um in the future but the comment she got suspended for or banned she got reinstated a few years later so it wasn't forever but comment she got in a lot of trouble for was she said hitler adolf hitler was good in the beginning but went too far man uh, I remember she got talked about when Donald Sterling made all those stupid yeah. comments. Yep. Um, so she's the only woman, first woman and only to be banned from baseball. She died, um, shortly after her suspended, her suspension was lifted, but Mejia tested positive, uh, for steroids again. It's the third time since last April, only 26 years old. Uh, pretty sad, um, story in my opinion, uh, he was set to get paid uh, 2.47 million dollars with the Mets this year, and will not receive that because he is banned uh, from baseball under the drug policy that was agreed on a few years back with the latest uh, collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, and he was their closer as recent as 2014. Yeah, I looked. Uh, I googled him uh, some just to see. Yeah, when the last time he he was closing games. I think last year some of the stories in spring training were. How is he going to react to not being the closer? Mm-hmm. So that was still even fresh as of um, 2015, and I think he was the closer for or, uh, most of 2014. Yeah, so it's such like an empty ending. You know, like I feel like his – like where, where do you go from here? Like it, it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine him just going and working a normal job now. Yeah, he can apply for reinstatement uh, after one year. So he has to sit out an entire season, and he didn't pitch, I think – uh, all of last year, or maybe he pitched at the very beginning, but had surgery um so it'll be a full two years before he pitches again, and that's assuming that manfred um reinstates him, which isn't likely um but maybe down the road if he's um you know does some good things to restore his uh, his image, he might get reinstated, yeah, just the psychology of that like why why would you over and over again do something yeah. that you know is gonna cost you? $2.5 million. Like, mm-hmm. even if he's a terrible pitcher, he's still making $2.5 million. Yeah. And you don't know all the stuff that goes into it. You know, there could be people that are feeding him bad information or trainers or whatever, but you would think after two positive tests, you know, within a year's time, he would, he would just absolutely crack down on anything he's being, right. uh, being given. But he yeah. is banned from baseball. um, Other thing I had is college baseball has started. Uh, The hometown Illini for us, uh, we live in Champaign, Illinois. They lost a lot of players to the uh, MLB draft last year. They did make the Super Regional, or the Sweet 16, if you're not familiar with uh, college baseball, and they won 27 in a row uh, last year. So pretty great season. Tyler Jay, uh, who was Illinois' closer last year, got picked in the top 10, went to the Twins. Uh, it'd be cool to follow his career this year, and there's I think seven or eight others that uh, are playing in the minors. Um, they have a potential first-round pick. Cody Sudlock is a starting pitcher this year, so um, if he pitches well, we might talk about him on the podcast. Maybe we'll interview him down the road. Sure. Yeah, I think Tyler J. I just looked; he's in like in the 70s for Baseball America's. Like, oh, pro- the top pro- 100. Yeah. He didn't show up in uh, the Baseball Prospectus 101. Um, had a rough uh, couple months to, after he was drafted with the Twins. Uh, Paul, you got anything else? Uh, no, but from the videos uh, I've seen, there's a lot of stretching going on in spring training. Yes. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my Twitter feed, especially this morning, Sunday morning, was just full of uh, spring training, stretching, and pitchers warming up, and stuff like that. Yeah, every video they show from spring training just makes it look like uh, like so much fun as a player. Like. Mm-hmm just kind of like lightly jogging or playing catch stretching in the grass. Um, and the weather of course looks amazing. Yeah. And we've, we've tweeted out from our, uh, Twitter account foot in the box. You should follow us. Um, hashtag 100 followers by opening day. It's our movement. Let's do it. Um, tweeted out, uh, there was a bullpen session with the Yankees of Chapman, um, Batances and Miller. And so that kind of like opened my eyes like, man, they're going to have a, awesome bullpen. Sabathia was in there too. thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then also tweeted out, did you see the Rangers promotion? Yeah, I just the, saw that the, the season ticket thing right before we started recording. So I, from what I just, uh, briefly read, he was a fan who, uh, would like would bet if he hit a Homer, you got your season tickets paid for. I yeah. only 20 people did it. So I think you had to pay for the season tickets ahead of time. And then if you hit the Homer, you got it paid for. Did He just get one chance. Or did get, like, uh, I, so the Nationals, when they did it uh, last fall, you only got one swing but two pitches. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> that was his reaction. is priceless. Did you, like, look into the, – was there an article attached or anything? I wonder if uh, he's, like, a yeah, former it's, college it's, player or it's something. That's a good question. It's um, a very hard thing to do. I think his Twitter bio said he was, like, a, a math uh, teacher. Wow. Much like podcast listener Brian – well, Alan Nathan did say the ball carries better. Uh, in Texas In Texas. Yeah, so. you mention that? All right, um, close out this opening segment. Uh, we're going to answer a listener email. As a reminder, you can email us anytime about anything at a at gmail.com. It's a at gmail.com. We would love to answer your emails. We love hypothetical questions. And the email we will be answering today is very much a hypothetical. It comes from David in Chicago, who appeared on the podcast last summer as one of our, um, uh, summer flicks, um, viewers. Eddie's million dollar cookoff was his movie. But David asks, what would you do if you were MLB commissioner for one day? assume that you don't have to fight the owners or the union and you could just impose your will. Um, and then he gives his five ideas, but, um, I thought we we could maybe wait till the end to reveal his list, and then um, uh, we can each give our list before that. So, what would you do, Paul? What are some of your ideas if you were MLB commissioner for a day? So I've got a couple like uh, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, more boring ones uh, that sounds I think, like you. <laughs> that just makes sense. NPR. So uh, adjust the September call-up rule. <laughs> I think. That's your first move as commissioner. Hey, I prefaced it. It's tweak the September call-up rule. I think that's a ridiculous rule. Uh, I would also uh, make the DH in the uh, National League as well as the American League. Um, and then the All-Star Game, I would remove the hmm. the weight of the game. So those are my boring ones. But in terms of a couple more like far-fetched, interesting ones, we've talked about this before, but I really like the idea of uh, several double-headers. Hmm. Um Especially like summertime on like Saturdays or Sundays, um, so day-night double headers, making those kind of like mandatory that each team would have to have a home, a couple home ones, and also a pitch clock. Um, I'm a big fan of making the game go quicker, and I think a pitch clock would would really help. So those are my ideas. What are Great. yours? Uh, I don't think we have any overlap, so that's that's good. Uh, my five first one is fight harder to shorten game times. I agree with you but I would not institute a pitch clock. One rule I would implement is um, a minimum of two batters per pitcher, so you could not bring in a reliever to just face one batter. Had to face two, of course, had sparring injury. If the pitcher gets hurt, you can take him out. Um, I would also shorten the review times. So if a play is being reviewed, um, I don't know if I would set a limit, but I would just make sure that the, the crew in New York, you've got 90 seconds. If after that 90 seconds you can't figure it out, just leave it be. Yeah, I like that. Um, number two, I would shrink the strike zone. Right now the zone um, is called pretty accurately, um, but I don't think that's working very well because scoring is down uh, a lot. So I would move the zone from the bottom of the kneecap to the top of the knee, and we've talked about before about the impact of the current strike zone and how low it is Um and how guys are just grinding out and striking out a ton. So that would cut down on strikeouts, cut down on ground outs, which are pretty boring plays in baseball. Um, so game times, shrink the strike zone number three. I would uh, make the battle against steroids more about uh, the example we're setting for kids. So right now I feel like the main fight against steroids is you're cheating you know, your fellow players, you're cheating the game, therefore you shouldn't do it. And a lot of people you know, stand for, hey, just make it all, If guys want to take steroids, they should be able to take steroids. Bonds and Clemens, all those guys, put them in the Hall of Fame. Who cares? Um, But I think those same people that would make that argument agree that they don't want kids taking steroids, that it's bad for your health. And so I really think um, that's a huge component of it is, uh, do you want kids taking steroids? No. Well, then their role models, people they look up to, shouldn't be taking steroids either, along with cheating the game and cheating fellow players. So that's... Number three, uh, number four, I would work with journalists and journalism. I would make their jobs easier and give them more access. My take is that a nine billion dollar sport should have a thriving press. So it's, I think it's lame that, um, you see different journalists lose their jobs at different outlets. Um, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily pump money. I wouldn't take money from the league and, and pay those guys to write separately or independently, but I would think of ways to creatively help journalists do a good job. Last one, number five, I would pay minor leaguers more. This is uh, an idea that David and I share. And um, I just don't think that most of them should have to get jobs in the offseason, which a lot of them have to now. Um, The minor league schedule is so grueling. Major league teams make so much money. I do not think that um, minor leaguers should get paid well below minimum wage. And I feel like this, um, that rule would help draw players away from football that are also good at baseball Antoine Randall L is an example he recently said that he would have or he if he could go back he would play for the Cubs because they drafted him instead of going to the NFL you know guys like Jeff Samarja for instance took more money to go play baseball Uh, but if that happened more often with guys that were torn in between those two sports that would that would help MLB in general David's ideas uh, some of them might be controversial Number one, he would institute an NBA-style salary cap with contracts that reward players who stay with the clubs that first signed or drafted them, kind of like uh, yeah, like Bird's, the Bird Right uh, NBA rule. Uh, he would do this to try to curb the power of big teams. Number two, he would add the DH to the NL, like Paul. He would do this because the, the uh, designated hitter is awesome. <laughs> Number three, he would destroy the Hall of Fame and start over no explanation given there. Uh, number four, he would expand the playoffs and shorten the regular season. He would start the playoffs before football starts. And, uh, this would save pitchers arms. TV ratings would be better and weather would be better for games. And lastly, same as me, he would pay minor leaguers more money. So thanks for your question, David. Paul, do you have any thoughts on, um, on my list or David's list? Uh, my favorite was <laughs> the destroying the hall of fame with no, mm-hmm. no explanation, but no, I, I think they're both great points. And I think the reason like these don't happen, uh, is because owners, like what David kind of articulates in his question, assuming that the owners don't have a say in that Or the iron. union, players union. Yeah. One well, other one that I like, uh, just thought of now. I'm a big, um, proponent of owners paying for their stadiums. So I hate when uh, owners sort of demand that the city they're in yeah. and taxpayers pay for a stadium. So like in Tampa Bay, I would, I think they deserve a new stadium, but I think that the owner of the Rays should pay for it. So yeah. that's, that's another one. The Cubs are a good example. The Ricketts, I think they tried to get uh, taxpayer money, but they couldn't. So they, they're just paying for all the renovations themselves. Um, so that's a pretty good model for how it should be. All right. Well, you can send us an email, like I said, at afootinthebox at gmail.com. We would love uh, to interact with you over there. Um, next step, we will talk about Pecota projections. All right, we're back with the Pecota projections. Uh, for those of you that don't know what Pecota is, Paul, would you like to uh, enlighten the audience? Sure. So Pecota is a uh, it's a baseball projection system uh, created uh, early two thousands, I believe two thousand by, by a foot in the box. <laughs> no. We were twelve and thirteen. At yep. The time. So it's pretty impressive that we came up with it. Uh, early two thousands by a guy named Nate Silver, who has remained in the spotlight. He now is the editor in chief at Five Thirty Eight. Um, but it is a projection system uh, for individual players mostly. That's like the focus on the upcoming season. It uses past performance mm-hmm. um, to predict how a player will do, uh, but it also puts out kind of compiles those individual player projections into uh, team projections. And so about a, m- a month or a month and a half before the season, they'll, they'll put out their projections. It's kind of, it's become kind of a big deal. Um, and they've gotten, you know, it's kind of a controversial thing. Some people really like them and some people will pick out the examples where they screwed up as reason to kind of ignore them. And uh, they've gotten really famous in the last year or two because, uh, they pegged the royals last year to win um I believe 73 games mm-hmm. and they ended up winning um 95 if i'm right yeah 73 royals of course won the world series had 95 regular season wins and even you know before the season a lot of people scoffed at the 73 wins because the royals were just coming off a um world series appearance yep All right yep they were they had squeak, yeah, they, squeaked they in had some, as a wild card and made yeah, a run to and the world Giant, Series. Giants beat them in game seven. That's right. Uh so they got a lot of heat um uh from um a lot of people. Uh sabermetric people, not so much, but definitely the kind of the old school Hawk Harrelson types of the world. Um well, we've got a few things to talk about with Pakota. Paul, you wanna just start with the standings like what they project for teams. Sure. So yeah, just, just going around baseball real quick here. Uh, if you haven't seen the projections, we tweeted them out. You can find them online by following the link in our podcast episode page as well. Um, all right. So just quickly, AL East, they've got the Rays at 91 wins, Red Sox at 88, Blue Jays at 86 wins, Yankees at 85, Orioles at 72, AL Central, Indians, 92 wins, White Sox, 82 Twins at 79, Tigers 78, Royals 76. So again, they're going to get lots of heat, and we'll talk about that in a second because I just pegged the the Royals at 76 wins again. Uh, In the West, the Astros 88 wins, Mariners 84, Rangers 80, Angels 75, and the A's 75 as well. Moving over to the National League, they've got the Mets at 91, Nationals at 87, Marlins at 76, Braves at 68, and the Phillies at 65, Central, they've got the Cubs in 92, Pirates 83, Cardinals 82, Brewer 77, and the Reds 74. Closing out in the West, Dodgers 94 wins, Giants 87 wins, Diamondbacks 78 wins, Padres 77, and the Rockies 74. So, Paul, what, um, what stands out to you about the Pocota standing projections? Yeah, so a, a few kind of surprises in both directions. Um, surprised that Tampa Bay um, was yep. projected to win the AL East. Yeah, that was the biggest surprise for me. 91 wins um, from a team that kind of hovered around five hundred last year and didn't really do a ton in the offseason to improve. Um, s- surprised negatively by the Orioles. You know, they have a, especially if they sign Dexter Fowler, they have a quality lineup without many holes in it, and they've got them at 72 wins. You know, and so if they sign Fowler, you could see that jumping up, you know, maybe... By a couple, but still well below 500. Yeah, worst team in the American League. Um, Seattle, I was actually surprised by. They have them at 84 wins, which they were um, they were not a good team last year. And, again, didn't do a ton this offseason to improve. And, honestly, don't have many, like, quality young players. Um, so, I I was surprised by that. And the last team, uh, Arizona. Uh, I think they had them at 78 wins, yep. which after the offseason – of signing Zach Greenke, uh trading uh, a bunch of quality pieces for Shelby Miller. Um, I was I was surprised um, that they were that low, and I think um, that's mostly because their on-base percentage, their, a lot of their offensive metrics are projected to be some of the lowest um, guys like A.J. Pollock they um, are pretty um, low on. So I was surprised at, at how low Arizona was. Yeah, I, the Rays were my biggest surprise. Um, last year they finished at 80-82, and 82, and so that's an 11-win jump, um, one of the biggest uh, projected. Um, no big additions like you mentioned. They just added role players offensively, Steve Pierce, Corey Dickerson, Brad Miller, Logan Morrison. Um, you know, nothing that really pops off the page at you, so I think they're just expecting uh, kind of the mainstays from last year to to play better this year. Their, their pitching staff was, was really good last year, especially their starters. That should uh, be the case again this year. The pirates and Cardinals falling were, were big surprises to me. Uh, they've got the pirates falling 15 wins and the Cardinals, uh, a negative 18. And they've also got the brewers and reds as not as, as bad as people are expecting. Um, so if I had to guess, I would, I would guess that the, the Cardinals and pirates would be a little bit better than Pocota is projecting and that the brewers and reds would be worse. Um, also, another thing to note from the National League, the NL West and NL East are projected the exact same standing wise as they ended last year. Um, so in the East, Mets, Nationals, Marlins, Braves, Phillies is how it ended last year. That's what it's projected at this year. And then the West, Dodgers, Giants, Diamondbacks, Padres, Rockies in that order. Uh, same projection as this year. And the win totals are very, very similar. I think one thing that I, just looking at the standings, that bodes well for the the Mets and the Nationals is how bad the National East, like the bot the, the bottom three teams are. Like yeah, they have the Marlins, I think, around five hundred. But that's mostly because of how bad seventy seventy six the Phillies and the Braves are, are. They're both you know sixty win teams, and if you look at those rosters, it's just pretty barren. Um, yeah, and I, I thought they'd be the same way for the Central, honestly, because yeah. the Brewers and Reds aren't trying to win uh, this year. Uh, so I. You know, that's why I would expect the Cardinals and Pirates to win more games. Um Paul, a question for you. If you had to bet money on five teams either beating or losing to their projection, uh, who would you bet on? Like what what five teams are you most sure hmm. uh, that their projection is off in, in one way or the other? I'll go Tampa Bay. Um that they'd be worse than nine wins. Um I go I mean definitely Baltimore. I think it'll be better. Mm-hmm. Um I'll say Seattle is going to be worse. Okay. And I will say the Brewers are going to be worse and the um the Royals Yeah, and then my fifth will be the Royals will be better than 76 wins. Um my 5 and it's it's not that hard. Yeah. You think that you know it so much better than the system, but I would go Rays as well, lower. Royals, higher. The Angels, who they just projected 75 ones, I would guess higher, uh, based mainly on uh, Mike Trout. Um, Cardinals, higher than 82. And then I'll go... uh, Either the, the Brewers or the Reds. I'll go... Reds is lower. Would be my five. Anyway, those are the staining projections, uh, the individual player projections. We'll get into that a little bit later when we play our game with Kevin. A um, couple things we wanted to touch on with uh, Um One is just a, kind of an explanation of the, the Royals and Pakota and that tumultuous relationship. And so Sam Miller, who's the editor uh, and the author of the um, BP annual, which we'll read from later, he is the editor of Baseball Prospectus, which puts out uh, Pacoda And like Paul mentioned, Nate Silver started it to pass it off to, uh, to Sam Miller. Um, he wrote a great article, just some things that stood out from the article. Um, he talks about how the Royals are only projected to win 76 games um, and how he knows that a lot of people are going to kind of laugh Pacoda off because of it. And he starts the article by saying that he uh, has rooted for a lot of baseball outcomes in his life, but this is the first time he's rooted for a baseball projection outcome. Uh Miller and the rest of the BP staff really wanted uh, Pocota to pump out a higher win total. And um, Miller asked all of the uh, Baseball prospectus staff beforehand how many wins they um, they would project for the Royals before they saw Pakota And only um, one of the 27 responses was lower than 85. And I think Miller had them at like 80, 86 wins or something like that. So they all thought they'd win way more than Pocota actually had him. Um, the average was 88 amongst the staff. And so they didn't want it to be true. And so Miller dives into, um, kind of the, um, difference between what kind of common sense tells you and what Pacota pumps out and whether you can even trust Pacota or projections that are wrong about teams. And, uh, w- one thing that people har- harp on is that much of the information that goes into a projection for one year is carried over to the next year. So if they miss on the Royals in 2015, it's likely that they'll continue to miss in 2016 because nothing from the projection has really changed that much. Um, and like Paul mentioned earlier, it takes into account the last three years that a player um, his stats. And so um, if you miss on a player one year, it's likely you'll miss on the next year because the projection hasn't changed. So if Bad Intel uh, you know, is going into the Royals' projection for 2015 and Pakoda is mostly the same in 2016... And the Royals are mostly the same. They haven't changed as a team. Why should we take Pocota, uh and their projections for 2016 seriously? And Miller gives a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of the things that he says is that we only see kind of one outcome of a season uh, play out um, when really there are innumerable possibilities when the season starts. And so Pocota might give you one explanation for how the season can go, but we might see a totally different scenario actually play out. He also talks about how baseball is unpredictable. He says that Pakoda can't do much more than take an incredibly unpredictable sport and make it a little more predictable. It's not fate, um, which is pretty obvious, but you know, any projection system is, is bound to miss on, um, on some teams and players, but getting down to the Royals and why they've been so off the last couple of years. And while they'll probably be way off again this year, he gives five reasons for why that's the case. Um, or at least last year why it was off. First reason is that Wade Davis's history was really hard to project. So they, they Wade Davis was uh, the Royals' best reliever, uh, had a dominant season, and they, because of his history, uh, and it's a short history of dominance, it was hard to project him into the future. Lorenzo Cain has a really unique baseball background, um, and so it, he's a late bloomer, so that was missed in the projections. Edison Volquez, his peripherals made a good case for him to be just a mediocre pitcher, but he outperformed those, and um, the Royals hit on him when a lot of people didn't think they would. Fourth, uh, Zobris and Cueto were added midseason and added a lot of value towards the end. Zobris more than Cueto, but um, you know they obviously contributed to the final record, and there's no way for Picota to project at the beginning of the season. And lastly, the Royals were simply really clutch. They um, you know had high uh, batting averages, when guys are in scoring position, they did a good job. Their pitchers similar to the Cardinals last year, just got guys out when they needed to. And, um, Pocota doesn't really account for clutch. Um, so those are the reasons why they missed. And it's just a good article that talks about why projections, um, kind of still matter, even though they miss on, uh, on guys. But Paul, do you have any thoughts on the article? Yeah, I think my, I really enjoyed the, like how detailed the explanation was. And, um, I don't like it. Kind of dispels the narrative that somehow the people at Baseball Prospectus are against the Royals somehow. Like like you said, they wanted them to do well. Um, and I think one thing he points out in that article too is that like other projection systems, like Fangraphs, uh, Clay Davenport is another projection that they're both uh, in the seventies too. So mm-hmm. it's not just Pakota that has has them low. And my like my whole thing with uh, reacting to these. Um, standings, projected standings, is like if what it feeds us is never controversial, then it has no value. Like if it basically just reaffirms what we already think subjectively, then in my opinion, like well, you know, what's what's the point? So like if it came back and said projected all the same division winners as last year, same wild card, then it's like, well, you know, is it really contributing to anything? And like they're gonna be off in some areas, but they're also gonna like get some right that we wouldn't have seen. Yeah. So yeah, I think Bill James has uh, a quote or has written about how like if 80% of the time it confirms what we yeah. see and like 20% goes against that, like that's the sweet spot for analytic yeah. stuff. And like, also he, he touches on like the um, unpredictability of baseball. And I think I, I could not agree more with that. The, you know, the same people like Harold Reynolds who will come out and say, I heard him say this after the most recent one came out that. We shouldn't even talk about that anymore. Shouldn't give them any airspace, airtime. He was almost frustrated to, like, have to address it. So, like, he'll come out and say that. But what he won't say is that, like, uh, last year, you know, his predictions for the season were way off. Like, Well, yeah, I think in 2005, whatever year the Diamondbacks won 55 games, he projected them to win the AL West. Yeah. But, like, just because it's a person, though, projecting standings, we don't hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And I, like, started looking... And when he said that, I started looking at like last year and ESPN put out like their experts picks for the season ahead. So this is like Buster only Tim Kirchner, those sorts of people. 15 experts. Uh, this is for 2015. 11 of 15 had the Orioles winning the AL East. So over two thirds. Orioles did not win the AL East. Uh, 15 out of 15 had the Nationals winning the NL East. Yeah. Remember that? Nationals didn't win the NL East. 13 out of 15 had the Mariners winning the AL West. Mariners were under 500. Um, and no one, like out of the fifteen, picked the Astros or the Mets to make the playoffs, even even as a wild card. So it's like uh, baseball is so hard to predict. Hmm. Didn't Pedro Gomez have the? I remember talking about it last year. Pedro Gomez, I think, picked the Mets to make it as a wild card. Really? Yeah. I can go back and look. But um, so just uh, I, I just feel like we're too hard on Pakota, as if we you know we expect more out of the projection system than we do like individual people. Yep. Uh, if you had to predict a win total for the Royals, what would you say? Yeah, I think they're going to regress. What people don't remember is that they were uh, like they didn't start off the best last year before adding Sopris and Cueto. So I would say like eighty two, eighty three. They had a pretty big lead. I looked it up, and on June first, they were in second place behind the Twins. July first, they were I think four games up. So I mean, they had they were good, but they weren't like by by the, the time best... they added Cueto on said they had built a pretty significant lead. Hmm. I, I don't think they were the best team in the American League at that point. I would say, if I had to predict a win total, uh, 84 wins. All right, well, that does it for Pocota or our analysis of Pocota. Feel free to email us your thoughts, box at gmail.com, or uh, follow us on Twitter and tell us there what you think. Moving on to our game with Kevin and Paul. <laughs> All right, we're back on the podcast, uh Paul and I, and we have a special guest for this segment welcoming in our older brother, Kevin Kevin, how's it going?
1: Good, how are you guys?
0: doing well, doing great, yeah, Good. uh just busy ready, talking ready
1: for uh ready for baseball season.
0: We are very ready, and we've been discussing some PICOTA projections. yeah, uh, I'm curious, Kevin, do you know what PICOTA stands for?
1: uh I don't. I'm sure it's some kind of player expectation. I don't know. What is the Do You
0: know? Do you know who invented it? I don't. It's Nate Silver. The,
1: Nate Silver invented it.
0: Yeah, that was his big thing before the. Really. Five thirty-eight. Yep. Uh, Pakoda yeah. is the, it's the last name of Bill Pakoda, who oh. was a, a two forty-nine hitter in the eighties and nineties, and so he's supposed to be kind of like a replacement level. And then uh-huh. uh, working back from that, it stands for Player Empirical Comparison and Optimization Test Algorithm. Yeah. So don't you don't, know, don't know how you missed that one.
1: I know. I, I'm surprised uh, Silver came up with it because I kind of think of him as um, kind of a younger guy who hasn't been around that long. But I feel like Paco has been around for a long time.
0: Yeah, 2003 was the first time they or he rolled it out.
1: Wow, and that was Silver.
0: Yeah, yeah, he did it for like six years. Really? while he was working another job i'm pretty sure he developed it
1: yeah i follow him on twitter and he mainly just tells me who's going to win elections
0: yes uh well before we get into our game we haven't really brought up politics but uh who's your who are you endorsing for the 2016 presidential race what
1: my my official endorsement yes wow i didn't know we were talking politics today i guess all i can say is that i'm very invested in uh making america great kidding. <laughs> totally kidding trump's a clown um i kind of like what rubio's been up to lately
0: here my i like rubio my take on uh-huh. him he's by far the best republican candidate mm-hmm. uh, his mouth gets dry a lot if you watch him talk <laughs> he's always searching for saliva
1: well we can't have a president his mouth is always dry
0: I know and he likes electronic dance music, really yeah, he's a big edm fan did not know that interesting
1: uh, th- um yeah i I've, I've been uh, reading a lot more about the candidates just because we're getting closer to to that time but um i am I'm, I'm always kind of surprised that so many people like Cruz and i don't I don't really know much about his policies to be honest he's just kind of a strange looking guy and exactly I don't I just, I always feel uncomfortable while he's talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know why that is, but uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, group of people. And our friend, Jeb Bush is no longer around.
0: So <laughs> oh, we've talked about him already. Me. The whole first segment was devoted to Jeb Bush and Memoriam.
1: Oh yeah. I'm, no, well, I'm kidding. Powerful. Yes. Actually, uh, Jeb's probably got some time on his hands. Did you try to reach <laughs> out to him, get him on?
0: Uh, we did not. but uh, Or was
1: he calling you hoping to get a uh, little bit of a segment yeah, on here?
0: Last-ditch effort. Yeah, he's actually – he keeps <laughs> texting me. I've had to turn him down several times. He's so desperate for media he attention. say,
1: listen, Jed, we're booked for the next few months. <laughs> Sorry.
0: We've got Brother Kevin on this week, and just it's not going to work out.
1: Yeah. Well, if there's anyone who can understand uh, family dynamics, it should be Jeb Bush.
0: Yeah. We should bring him in as like a consultant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know what, what podcast I would really listen to would be the uh, Bush family oh, yeah. podcast. That would be interesting.
0: Yeah. I feel like, I think George is behind all of this, or I guess they're both George, uh, George W. Bush, because uh-huh. Jeb running has made me think so much more highly of George W. Oh yeah. Like he's, he's such a better like leader. And you can yeah. debate whether he's a good president or whatever, but like compared right. to, compared to Jeb, it's not even close.
1: Yeah, well, it's good we're not debating uh, how good presidents are because I don't think we are three people qualified qualified to do that. I,
0: I honestly think all four of us could do better like public speaking than Jeb.
1: Who's the fourth? John. Oh, okay. Four Is brothers. John on four the brothers. podcast right now. He's not now. Oh, okay. No, I know. I know he Friday. listens
0: every week though. So what's up, John? <laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, that would have been one of those, like, uh, daytime TV shows, like the Maury Povich or whatever. Yeah. Like, actually, we've got John right here. let will yeah, the... <laughs> see what he has to say.
0: You've seen the YouTube video of Jeb telling his the crowd to clap for him, right?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, watched it for the first time last night. Me too. But I, I'd read about it. Um,
0: That's hilarious.
1: It was very funny. He actually gave a very impassioned little speech, <laughs> and... It really did seem like they should be clapping, and no one clapped. <laughs> please clap. But I think a good rule of thumb is you don't ask your audience to clap. Or actually, <laughs> he didn't even ask. He commanded yes, it. Yes,
0: please clap. Yeah. All right, enough of the political talk. Let's get to our game. The game we were playing today is the Baseball Prospectus Annual Player Description Game. First annual. I will read a description of a player. Well, before we dive in, we should probably give credit. This isn't. Oh our, yes, I, I, I stole this game from Effectively Wild. Great podcast. You should all listen to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam Miller, Ben Lindbergh, they've got a great book coming out. Check it out. Uh, What's the book? I think the title is "The Only Rule Is It Has to Work." Yep. They were oh. like they ran a uh, like independent a, league team independent league team for a summer using like kind of crazy analytical stuff mm-hmm. and wrote about it. That's cool. Yes, so they played this game in the podcast. I thought it would be fun. I will read the description, replacing the player's name and team with other other words, and then uh, Paul and Kevin will have to guess which player I'm describing. Feel free to pause the podcast at home. That's what I did when I listened to the Effectively Wild podcast and try to come up with the player. Uh, so first, we are going to ask Kevin. Kevin, are you ready?
1: Mm. I, I'm ready.
0: I have five players for each of Wait, you.
1: I, I have to say, I have to put a disclaimer in that I might my my player knowledge right now isn't real fine tuned. We're still early on. So oh, you'll be all right. This this could be kind
0: of embarrassing. You'll be fine. All right. So, your first player. He didn't demonstrate the command he will need to to dominate in the majors during his rookie campaign, but there's no denying the progress he did show. The left-hander developed his four-seamer and sinker into distinct, equally useful, significant offerings, and he began to trust his changeup enough to keep right-handed hitters honest. That took him from a pitcher with only two surefire big-league pitches to one with four. And given the closer caliber sexiness of his original heater and slider, that's a scary proposition. Most of the role-related risk in his profile is now gone, and all that's left is to continue the refinements he made in his first full year under his pitching coach's tutelage. Kevin, do you know this player?
1: Oh, okay. So left-handed pitcher. Yep. Right? Yes. And he was a rookie last year. Yes. The only (sighs) left-handed rookie pitcher that's coming to mind is the guy for the Mets, Um, uh, Matts. Is that your guess? I can't remember. Uh, Is it Steven Matts? That is it. Yep,
0: yep. Is that your guess? That's my guess. Locked in. I'm sorry, that isn't correct, Paul. You have a chance to steal. I believe you're talking about uh, White Sox left-handed pitcher Carlos Rodon. That is correct. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yes.
1: Nice job, Paul.
0: Thanks. He is projected this year, if you're wondering, 4.02 ERA, and uh, nine and nine wins-loss. Mm. If that means anything to you. What's his warp? Uh, his WAR is one point four. All right, so Paul one, Kevin zero. Uh, Paul, let's turn to you as I turn in my massive uh book here.
1: So, did you buy the Baseball Prospectus book? Is I did. At? Yeah.
0: This segment is brought to you by the Baseball Prospectus <laughs> Annual twenty sixteen.
1: It's a good book. I used to get that every year.
0: It's a good time waster. All right, Paul, you ready? Ready. Kevin, you might know this one. Okay. So, Paul, uh, this player description reads, Despite winning the Rookie of the Year award in 2009, knee and back injuries hampered his career. He failed to crack the 100-games mark from 2010 to 2013 before finally regaining some health in 2014. Last year was more of the same, albeit with a slight drop-off in hitting, though the results still left uh, this player a slightly above-average player overall. He hits for good power, gets on base, and plays a solid left field. Fortunately for him, he seems to be pulling it all together just in time for his post-2016 free agency. Unfortunately for him, he seems to be pulling it all together just in time for his decline phase. Hmm. Rookie of the Year in 2009. Chris Coghlan.
1: I, I 100% I know
0: this. Uh, Chris Coghlan is correct, Paul. Yeah. Uh, is that who you're going to guess, I knew Kevin? That
1: one. Yep, I knew that one.
0: So he's not going to play it all this year, Yeah, right? yeah. I thought he'd get traded, but... Apparently not. White Sox have a gaping hole in right field they could use them at. They need to sign Dexter Fowler.
1: Right. Fowler, he's off the market.
0: Uh, he hasn't signed yet.
1: It sounds like he will. Oh, by the way, have you addressed your little Twitter?
0: I was just going to ask you. Did you see my feed with Buster?
1: Of course I saw it. Who's,
0: whose side are you on? I'm
1: on your side.
0: Exactly. Well, I thought Pete came oh. in a little hot, though. Like his first, yeah. his first tweet said a tone that wasn't the best.
1: But, Dad, if you follow Buster on Twitter, you know that he he tends to be fairly hostile with yeah. anyone who kind of pushes back a little bit.
0: He gives it out. I gotta—I can give it out, too. hmm Yeah. Uh, did you see some, someone tweeted at me? Apparently one of Yeah,
1: night. I saw it. Your yeah. reading comprehension isn't very good. Yeah, people
0: are so mean on Twitter.
1: Well, especially people are really quick to defend well-known people which is kind of weird. It seems like people should be quick to defend other kind of lesser known people, yeah. but it's I, well, uh, buster fanboys I think.
0: I, my stance has always been like for celebrities that like complain about mean things people say like mm-hmm. oh like just you know forget it don't read those. But after getting one of those like words mm-hmm. matter. So like oh yeah, when someone says something mean to you you're going to be like oh that that makes me feel kind of mm-hmm. bad. Why'd you say that?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I kept waiting for you to uh respond I didn't, to either yeah. Buster again or that other guy.
0: Took the higher road. It.
1: it was impressive,
0: yeah. Yeah. You're just I'm I'm tweaking my rebuttal to to uh Buster. <laughs> That's good. All right, Kev, uh, your next player. Uh the description reads one of the league's most versatile players. Um he missed a month last summer with a bulky knee. Injury, but still managed to post his usual outstanding offensive numbers while bouncing between second base and the corner outfield. As he's moved into his mid-30s, he is no longer a threat to launch 20 bombs or seal double-digit bases, but his ability to make contact, draw walks, and line doubles into the gap allows him to produce anywhere in the lineup. His glove caught a case of the Vapors last summer, which may be the first sign of his age-related decline, but he remains the, the archetype of a professional hitter in the sabermetric era. Who is this player?
1: I believe you are describing Eureka native Ben Zobrist.
0: That is correct. Yeah. Cubs second baseman. Uh, pretty he,
1: excited to see how he does.
0: Yeah, I always forget about him. He was kind of like yeah, second fiddle to even Lackey in Hayward, but um yeah, Cubs problems. Yeah, <laughs> he's projected this year: fifteen homers, uh, three fifty-two on base, which okay. is pretty solid.
1: Because he, I mean, he's what is he thirty three now, thirty four?
0: Thirty four, I believe. Yes. Thirty four. Uh, thirty five.
1: I mean, thirty five. He is thirty five. Turns, I mean, turns thirty
0: six this May.
1: I mean, he could he could be really terrible, and I mean, you would kind of understand why um, with the age that he's at. But he could also turn out to be really, really good. So I really don't know what to expect from him.
0: All right, uh, Paul, your next step. Player description. You know your closer is pitching well when his paternity leave is used as a brick bat by Neanderthals. Such was the case with this player, who in addition to welcoming his second daughter to the world in late August, enjoyed what might have been his best season yet. His walk rate, which had reached danger zone levels in 2014, regressed most of the way back to his 2013 marks, when he controlled his gas better than OPEC. Uh, that was the only big change in his peripherals as he continued to evade lumber and pile up strikeouts en route to the lowest ERA of his career. Uh, if his team has a complaint about his 2015 campaign, it's that it served as his lead-in to, it, to his arbitration eligibility, i.e. he'll make enough to buy a bigger crib. Paul, who is this player? I'll go Craig Kimbrell. That isn't correct. Kevin, do you have a guess?
1: Uh yeah, let me think. Um maybe you're keeping with the Chicago theme and you're describing uh Dave Robertson.
0: That is incorrect. Trevor Rosenthal.
1: Ah.
0: Uh, his uh his right. his comp in here. They give 3 comps for each player. Uh, one of them is Carlos Marmol. So that really? would be that would be good, good for the Cubs if he turned He's in. He's still in the league? <laughs> no. Uh I think he got a minor league contract actually. All right, Kev, you're up. If the baseball universe didn't exactly chortle, I don't know what that word means, over the signing of a 34-year-old one-dimensional slugger to a four-year contract, it at least let out a few hefty <laughs> guff uh, Maybe they were just upset. Um, this player had a great year in 2014, but the move to a pitcher's paradise and the backlog of week-long hamstring pulls suggested that he would only hit 25 to 30 home runs in his new venue. Not only did this player continue to rake at his new park, but he bested his career high in home runs just 137 games into his 2015 season. While he did hit more homers on the road, his slugging percentage was higher at his new park in 2015 than it was at Camden Yards in 2014. While his defense has deteriorated to the point where he shouldn't be even allowed to practice it. (laughs) There's cause for optimism that the last year of his deal won't actually be unmitigated disaster. Who is this player?
1: Oh, I heard a Camden Yards reference in there.
0: Yep, so that was his old park.
1: That was his old park. And uh, okay, what year did you say he played there?
0: Uh, 2014 was Camden moved into a a pitcher's park in 2015. Bad at defense, hits lots of homers.
1: You oh, know, jeez. I'm gonna go with. Oh, I think I know who it is. Um, oh, I'm totally blanking. He, uh, he's on my fantasy. Nelson Cruz.
0: Nelson Cruz, is that your final answer? It is. That is correct.
1: Yes, I can't believe that came to me.
0: Yes. Um, All right, Um, Paul, you're next. When a rookie is touted as having no-hit stuff, it's usually said figuratively, anticipating a historic outing to come. This player, a sinker baller whose curveball proved better than advertised, was seldom the subject of such praise until he blanked the Mets with literal no-hit stuff in June. It turns out, though, that when it comes to projecting future performance, the figurative label means more than the literal one. This player averaged just four and two-thirds innings per start over the season's last two months. Honestly, expectations were so low for this slow-burn 12th rounder that the one super cool start puts his team into house money territory. This player will come to spring training with no assurance of a job in his sophomore season. Paul, who's this player? Man. um, So he threw a no-hitter last year against the Mets. I know there was a uh, Giants pitcher that threw a no-hitter who was like a no-name guy. I just can't remember his name. I believe you've been asked several times on the podcast who this player is, and you haven't been able to get well, him. He's a no-name guy. doesn't have a name. Um, to you. I, mean, I, I can't remember his name. I'm out. Kevin?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I do Come on. Well,
0: I, I, I I'm deducting I one point from both your totals. What? Down to one each. His you right. get to
1: hear who it was?
0: Yes, his name is Chris Heston.
1: Chris hmm. Heston. I think I was on the podcast and was asked about I know.
0: I thought one of you like, at least would be able to get it. Do you guys remember when Phil Umber threw a perfect game for the yeah, World Yeah, that's
1: actually who I was thinking of. <laughs> I mean, he's probably not even on a roster anywhere, right?
0: No, he's been out for, I think, two or three years now.
1: That's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. All right, Kev, you're up next. All right. Uh, this player responding to a league worst ERA by lashing out at the unkind world and more specifically in the direction of his employers in what what might have been his best pitch of the year. He refused to work out of the bullpen and castigated the front office for shutting him down out of mercy with a month remaining. Perhaps he failed to appreciate who was receiving the mercy. The right-hander saw his strikeout rate drop for the fourth consecutive year and his home run issues returned. His velocity remained constant sitting just above 93 miles per hour. But his movement and ability to induce whiffs have waned. Like myriad 30-somethings before him, he must learn how to compete and find success with diminished stuff and a body that can't physically do what it could in his prime. The problem is that he has always had a penchant for missing in the zone, for throwing rather than pitching. A winter of reflection is in order. Kevin, who is this player?
1: I believe you're referring to the individual uh we traded we being the cubs Chris Archer for and that is Matt Garza.
0: That is correct. Yeah. Good job. See Brewers. Thank you. Yes. He's got a couple years left with the Brewers. Uh five six three ERA last year. hmm uh, pretty terrible. Uh, I didn't
1: realize his ERA was so bad, but I definitely remember how he refused to pitch out of the bullpen.
0: Yep. Negative point five war last year.
1: Terrible. But they, Can you believe we gave away Chris Archer for him?
0: Yeah, that's... Uh, Unbelievable. Jim Hendry in a nutshell. Yep. All right, um, just a few left. Kevin is up 2-1. to one. Paul. He came to his new team in 2015 to do two things. Hit home runs and chew bubble gum. And he was all out of bubble gum. Then he ran out of home runs, too. In the first half of 2015... He didn't spend a lot of time on base because he was either making outs, which he did a lot, or hitting home runs. Despite being on pace for a 40-homer season through the first half, his copious flaws rendered him basically a replacement-level player, if not worse. After the break, he actually started hitting better, improving his batting average on-base percentage and slugging percentage. He did all of this while playing bad but not terrible third base. One can assume he also ate and slept as well. Despite concluding as one of his more ragged seasons, he is slated for a full-time job at third base this season. Bakota is bearish, but after a couple years of Matt Dominguez, even 25 good plate appearances a year feels like a reprieve. Paul, who's this player? Kev, how are you feeling about this player?
1: I, I think I know who this is.
0: Oh, pressure's on, Paul. Third baseman, started last year hot, only hit homers. I will go the third baseman that, that the Cardinals acquired, uh, Greco. That'd be who? I am unfamiliar Oh, Jed Jerko. Or Jerko, yeah, sorry. Uh, that is incorrect. Kevin?
1: I think it's Pablo Sandoval.
0: Good guess, uh, but disappointing because it's wrong. This it's is, is none Valbuena. other than Louis Valbuena. Yeah, wow. my other one. All right, Paul, Paul stays alive. Uh, so just one more for each of you. Kev, if you get this right, you automatically win. All right, ready, Kev?
1: I'm ready.
0: In the afterthought of a deadline acquisition last year, this player brought a 4.64 ERA with him from Seattle, a figure that was on pace to be his highest mark since 2012. The assumption at the time was that he'd fill in for a few weeks at the back of the rotation before moving aside when the games became important. Instead, this player's relationship with his team evolved like one ripped from a horrible rom-com. Weariness turned into wonderment, sorrerness turned into sweetness, and so on. All while they were entrapped in a -a cockamine story about how pitching coach Ray Searidge turned a frog into a prince. It's a shocker his final start didn't end with an embrace in the middle of a raging storm. (laughs) Who is this player, Kevin? That
1: was a very dramatic little paragraph. Yeah, I didn't
0: there. I didn't really read through all of that before, before I picked it.
1: I'll be honest. I didn't quite follow everything that was said. Um,
0: all right, so just, it's a... I'm, not,
1: I'm just going to guess a pitcher that shouldn't have been good that turned out to be decent. And tra- the first player that comes to my mind is Bartolo Colonna.
0: No. So you mi- did you miss the big thing? He was a trade deadline guy. This year? Yes, but we'll move on. You got it wrong. Paul has a chance to steal and possibly win if he gets his right as well. Hmm.
1: Wait, so he was traded at the trade deadline?
0: Yes, but you can't, you can't answer anymore. From the Mariners? Because I already guessed. Yes. Oh. And his pitching coach is Ray Searage. I don't know how you guys are missing this. Hmm. Ray Searidge. Uh I'm not sure. I'll go J.A. Hap. That is correct. No. Oh. All tied up at two. I didn't realize he came from Seattle.
1: Yeah. I actually should have known that.
0: Uh, he got a big deal with Toronto, right? Yeah, like three, yep, three years, 36. All right, Paul. I hope you get this right, or else it ends in a tie. You don't have any
1: more questions?
0: I mean, I have a whole book, but uh, I guess I'd pick hey, one.
1: But if, but if I steal this, I win, right?
0: That's true, too, yeah. All right. All right. Paul, you ready? Mm-hmm. After years of trying to establish himself as a full-time starter, his team bumped this player from the rotation after just one start in 2015. Fortunately, the conversion to relief worked out for both parties, as a starter-to-reliever velocity bump transformed him from a number 5 starter to a solid setup option. Not only did he add almost three ticks to both his fastball and his curve, he scrapped his dismal slider for a cutter that zoomed in on hitters nearly 11% faster than his old offering. The velocity gains bought him more whiffs and many more strikeouts. Now entrenched in the pen, he might not be Wade Davis, but he is another guy who could provide far more value in 70 innings per season than he ever did in 140. Paul, who is this player? Hmm. I don't have a clue. I, uh, you know, after reading it, it sounds pretty hard. I'm going to give you the team. Uh, cause I wiped that out. Uh, he plays for the Indians. Zach McAllister. It is third cousin Zach McAllister. Paul is the champion.
1: Well done, Paul.
0: Comeback well done. victory.
1: Yeah. It really choked it away there. <laughs> yeah, I should have had that Val Blaine question. I should have had it.
0: It'll haunt you. Uh, it will. Kevin, did you know the answer to that?
1: I did not until you said the Indians. Because um, I well, what I was thinking was that you wouldn't have picked a uh, a middle reliever unless there was some some reason to pick him, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously our relation to McAllister would be a reason. So once you said Indians, I had a pretty good idea.
0: Yes, if uh, if our mom is listening, she'll be very proud mm-hmm. that uh, you both knew that. All right. Um, well, thanks for playing, Kev. Any any general baseball thoughts for the listening audience?
1: Oh, nothing you guys probably haven't already covered. It's just nice to have uh, baseball back.
0: How many shots of players stretching at spring training have you seen so far?
1: Oh, lots. And uh, pitchers warming up, um, Lackey and Lester playing catch, a lot of those shots. My favorite every year are um, the spring training stories about how the overweight players have lost a lot of weight and how that's going to be why they're good. Yeah those are fun
0: before our last uh, podcast I read a story of uh, Ryan Howard before last season uh, Mm -hmm. um, like a season preview that said that he was leaving negativity behind and was only focused on the positive moving forward
1: yeah guys come in uh, after an off season of reflection ready to go did you guys see the uh, picture of Barry Bonds
0: yeah he looks looks pretty slim
1: looks very slim almost like something has changed (sighs) in his diet
0: you see he said uh, God knows that he's a Hall of Famer?
1: I did, yeah. He's going to be in the uh, the Heaven Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll have to check that out uh, once since we're all done here on Earth.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned the weight thing. Paul is actually in his best shape of his life heading into 2016 podcast season. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Good. not just kidding. Not true. He's very fat.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that's not
0: true either. All right. Well, thanks for joining the podcast, Kevin. Uh, it's been a pleasure as usual. And uh, yeah. uh, I'll be up in Chicago next weekend.
1: Yes, yes, you will.
0: Looking it's going to be a time. Looking forward to that. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> All right. To close out the podcast, uh, as promised, we are going to read the last few reviews of our podcast on iTunes. Um. Again, you can leave us a review. We would really appreciate you reviewing our podcast. Helps get the word out to more people. I'm sure you've heard that if you listen to other podcasts, but we'd really appreciate you reviewing us. No need to give us five stars. Give us whatever you think we deserve. Um, All right, so we've got three left. First one comes from Doctor zing 28 He gives us five stars and says, uh, our podcast is informative, engaging, and fun, even for people who are just getting into baseball. So thank you, Dr. Zing. Uh, The next one comes from Josh64. Uh, The title of the the review is Great Source for Baseball Talk. His review says, Love this mix of personal and statistical take on the game of baseball. Thanks, Josh64. And last but not least, Jank Tank. Uh, Gives us five stars. The review is titled Baseball As It Should Be. And he reviews by saying, Hosts Peter and Paul make even anti-baseball fans enjoy the sport with their insight and clever commentary of the game, fun podcast, and deaf worth a listen. Jank uh, Tank reminds me, I got into a conversation with some friends recently about instant messenger usernames, like in uh, junior high and high yeah. school. Do you remember your... I think it was PD underscore 44 underscore 09. My, uh, mine was, I think, Shy Socks 09, yeah. but my wife's was uh, Cha Cha Pop, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and another was Illini Forever. Um, none of these reviews come from Tasha Pop or Kate or Paul's wife. Yeah, that's true. Are you saying your wife has not reviewed our podcast? I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Get on it. Get on it. You also had uh, We Got One, right? Uh, it's a Yahoo email. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Longer story there. Angels in the Outfield reference. All right. Looking ahead, our next podcast will be in two weeks on March 7th. Lots of exciting things. Uh, are coming baseball related wise and for our podcast and website we've got lots of cool things planned so keep uh, checking us out Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes like I said it helps us uh, or helps more people hear about the podcast you can send us an email Uh, our email address is afootinthebox at gmail.com follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox hashtag 100 followers by opening day and uh, you can check us out online at afootinthebox.com newly redesigned website. So check us out online if you haven't. Already at foot in the box. Well I think that does it, Paul, do you have anything to add? Nope. Exciting times for a podcast, exciting times for baseball fans. And just a reminder to keep in the box. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. My daddy's gone and my
2: mama met a maker. Oh the hell with that place? So I said, quit your talking, your sideways walking Time to find another path to take Quit your whining, your bloodshot crying Faking like you're dying, never pays Just go home, you need you some home Boy, you need you some home Her name was Peggy Sue, and her daddy hung the moon. In her eyes, he could do no wrong. But then he started drinking, like there's a message in the bottle. Now daddy's painted Peggy black and blue. She closes her eyes through the hero's demise. Oh, to a hope beyond the sky. She takes a breath, the it comes up...